0: DLNSRadio.com, the home of Internet Sports Talk Radio. Legends are made in the NFL, and the quest for the Lombardi Trophy continues. Brady moving and looking and has time, and his throws, and that is caught for a touchdown. Intercepted by Wilford. That's Wilford with a game changer. You're listening to Patriots Beat. Oh, Two minutes, go. second down and six. Brady... Right here on clnsradio.com. Well, good afternoon, New England Patriots fans, and welcome to CLNS Radio's Patriots Beat. I am your host Jeff Kane at @BostonFatGuy on Twitter. Joined as always by Bob Snowden at Snowden Bob. We got a nice show to you, for you today. Uh, we'll be joined by Sean Glenn, an author of Tom Brady versus the NFL: The Case for Football's Greatest Quarterback. He'll be joining us very shortly. We'll talk a little bit about the NFL draft. We will also talk about the NFL in general and how much is too much. They're, uh, they're of course talking about expanding the playoffs and going out and uh, just playing on Thursday nights and playing on Saturday nights. And this is, just, I think it's might be reaching its saturation point. Anyways, 347-215-7771 is the call-in number if you have anything you'd like to talk to us about. Uh, the CLS Patriots Beat Podcast is brought to you today by the CLNS, uh Radio Celtics Beat Podcast, which can be heard every Saturday at 2 p.m. They do a great job. And, of course, also tune in to our great postgame shows as the Boston Bruins tie the, show, uh, tie the series up one-to-one. And Patrick Shankauer and Kevin Majority did a fine job at that. Bringing my uh, my co-host and cohort and the greatest writer that C onus Radio has ever seen, Bob Snowden. Hey, big guy,
1: how you doing? You sound a little bit—I'll uh, use the word tired rather than hungover today. Okay,
0: <laughs> 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 little trouble there, little, little it out. Little, little tired. I'm a little <laughs> tired. So that's well, all this right. This was another one of those
1: weeks, Jeff, where we went and and were looking for things to talk about and. You can always talk about the draft, and we will, and, and have, especially the last two weeks. I mean, almost the entire show has been focused around the draft uh, with the guests we've had. But I, we got to Thursday or Friday, and I was trying to think of some other topics. And I had uh, the original list I sent you had three things, I think, on it. It's like, oh, we, we're going to really need to spread this one out. But again, as the and developed, we found a lot of good things, great guests. And Sean Glennon, so all of those listening in that are Tom Brady fans will really enjoy this because he'll he'll back up every argument you ever made. Why, Brady is the greatest. He's written a, a really nice book about that, so he's going to be on. And I look forward to a, another good show.
0: Yeah, of course you look forward to another good show. How could you not? We always have good shows here on Patriots Beat, and yes... Great book by Sean Glennon uh, about the Mr. Tom Brady. And you know what? Tom will be 37 years old this coming August. No 30. way. Yes, yeah, 37 no years way. old he will be. And you, it's starting to wonder about his football mortality. Is this the year that they go out and draft the quarterback that is going to be Tom Brady's successor? If you look back at uh, the 1983 draft, consider the best draft in his, in the history for quarterbacks you had of course uh, John Elway going number 1 to the Baltimore Colts and then getting traded to the Denver Broncos and you had um Jim Kelly coming out and going with the uh the good old Buffalo Bills and of course the Patriots swung and missed with Tony Easton the Jets swung and missed with Ken O'Brien and then of course the Dolphins got uh Dan Marino so the question becomes when you replace a legacy if you look at a team like the Buffalo Bills they're still trying to find a quarterback to replace Jim Kelly. The same can be said about the Miami Dolphins, looking to replace their quarterback. The New York Jets, of course, have been trying to replace Jim uh, Jim uh, Namath, or Joe Namath, for forever and a day.
1: Good old Jim. His yeah, brother good, Jim was
0: yeah, pretty good too. Yeah, you know. And then uh, you he just go, didn't and, go to uh, Alabama, so exactly, and get the notoriety. The and then you go and you look at uh, at the Denver Broncos, who forever tried to replace John Elway, and it wasn't until John Elway became. You know the high humpa, the high honcho over there at uh, at Broncos' place, and he he brought back in uh, Peyton Manning, and it just goes to show you how hard it is to get a signal caller in the NFL that is just great.
1: I I'm just really disappointed that you said Tony Eason was a was a bust.
0: Oh God! I
1: mean, come on! How can you say that? The the Super Bowl game when Eason was hurt on and off during the year. And they were playing the Bears that year. And I had an opportunity to go to that game. Uh, I was living just outside of New Orleans at the time and and didn't go. Unfortunately, I had the opportunity before the season began, and no one was expecting the Patriots to be that good. Uh, but I, he was just, he was a wuss. That was his problem. He was a wuss. Well, he could throw well. the ball. He could, you know, it wasn't that he didn't have skills, but he was a wuss
0: he uh if he had Steve Grogan's heart, he could have been a great quarterback. Steve Grogan was a man among boys at some times that man could take a hit he was probably the toughest son of a gun i can I can ever remember
1: well and the the flip flop was whether Grogan would get the chance to to play or whether Eason would play because suddenly he was quote healthy and and you know he was. Supposedly, again, the quarterback, but, you know, Grogan, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, Grogan did the most with what he had for talent of any quarterback that's ever quarterbacked the Patriots, and with a few exceptions, quarterbacked in the
0: NFL. It's funny you say that, because Grogan did a lot of things. And, you know, he's a fifth-round draft pick out of Kansas City State, or Kansas State. Boy, I'm having a hard time spitting stuff out today. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, yes, nap time will be great. But, uh, yeah, Grogan, of course, was a fifth-round draft pick. They weren't thinking much about him. They They had the number one overall pick back in 1971, and they selected Jim Plunkett. Of course, Plunkett went on to win a Super Bowl with the Oakland Raiders, but he was horrible in New England. I mean, not horrible, but it wasn't what he what he became. And lo and behold, a, a fifth round draft pick, you know, out of K State comes in and and leads the Patriots to you know the playoffs in '78 uh, Super Bowl. You know, I know he he didn't lead them to the Super Bowl, but he got them there, and he played in that game, Steve Grogan. I mean, and Grogan played up until the 1990 season. I mean, great great quarterback in Steve Grogan. Now, numbers wise, he wasn't great, but. You know, tough son of a gun who played for 16 years in the NFL, that's that's saying something.
1: The only the only quarterback I can think of off the top of my head, and I'm sure someone will come up with more, that got as much out of what little they had. And I don't mean Grogan was terrible, but he, he didn't have, obviously, the skills of the top-rated quarterbacks, was Joe Capp. Now, I'm probably going back before your time, but Joe Capp, who ended his career as a Patriot, through like Buffalo Bill, ah, uh, yeah, he th- he threw the ball very similar um, to a fella that was trying to be on the Patriots last year, and had won all kinds of awards in college. <laughs> but he threw a knuckleball every time he threw a pass. He could not uh, couldn't throw the ball. But Cap found ways to win. He was with Minnesota for a long time, uh, and then became an actor. If you see some of the movies from the. I want to say mid seventies, late seventies. You'll see Joe and in a lot of them, but he's the only other one that kind of jumps out at me as a as a quarterback uh, that that really had very limited talents but got the most out of them. And I I loved Grogan. I thought Grogan was, you know, blood and guts and everything you want in a quarterback.
0: Yeah, the Patriots were you know have been lucky in in the quarterback department. I mean, then they get Drew Bledsoe and, and and Drew Bledsoe for. As much knock as he's taken over the years in New England because, you know, he he didn't win a Super Bowl and he was the number one pick in the 1993 draft. There are three men that kept the New England Patriots uh, in New England, and they are Drew Bledsoe, Bill Parcells, and, of course, Robert Kraft. The three of them brought football back to New England. New England you know the patriots were uh, the fourth rated team they were i mean they didn't have the revolution then but if they did they would have been behind the, <laughs> the new england revolution that's how that's how bad it was before you know 1993 i mean they were coming off a 2 and 14 season in 92 and a and a 1 and 15 season in 1990 and and the failed experiment with dickie mcpherson when they brought in uh when they brought in bill Parcells. and and it just Change things around, I mean, you know. that shows you what what can happen. I mean, they change things around. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago with Bobby Kavirsky about uh, you know Drew Bloodso and and how we were talking about that we're hoping they selected Bloodso instead of Rick Meyer. And I mean, that was a great decision in the in the history of the New England Patriots.
1: and and like you said, they've been lucky throughout history. Their first quarterback, and now I'm going back to my time. Babe Pirelli was was really a solid quarterback when the franchise first started. And you know they've they've had some decent quarterbacks along the way, but let's face it, Brady is by far the best they've ever had, and, and I'm certain we'll be really going into him when Sean gets on on board with us. Hey, let's talk about something else real quick because we may get into Sean and not get to some other topics. I I and we're speaking of quarterbacks. Happened to notice this morning on tweet, uh, Ben Volk had written uh, a little piece, and I scanned on it and. Uh, of your favorite quarterback, Johnny quarterback, Uh, you know, and, and he made a point. I didn't realize this. The last time a Super Bowl winning quarterback was drafted after a wide receiver who we played with in college was in 1968. So now with four days to the mock drafts to go, Mike Evans is projected to be taken in the fourth and seventh pick range. And Manziel may slip below him. So there, that may be history that occurs again all the way back to 1968. So I want to bring that up. I read that this morning, and I thought that was real interesting. And, and Ben, uh, and if you're on Twitter, at NFL underscore Ben, really gives some good stats every once in a while. So I enjoyed reading that one this morning.
0: I know we've had <coughs> our draft experts in, in Daniel Jeremiah and, uh, of course, My, uh, Mike Loiko last week, and, you know, they've talked about, johnny football i i i look at it and you know when i'm not a scout like uh, daniel jeremiah was i don't sit and look at the tape as much as as a mike loico does <laughs> i look at the eye test and i and i just look at johnny football and i'm saying and i'm gonna call it right now bust he's going to be a bust he there's nothing special about him the only thing special is that he wins that he finds a way to win but once he comes into the NFL and he goes up against you know more talent, that ten cent head of his is gone. I know he's, well, playing, and, you know, and
1: that's the issue is the ten cent head. I mean, he, he has the ability to be a decent. I don't think he will ever be a great NFL quarterback. And people compare him to Fran Tarkenton as a, as a quarterback and the type of quarterback he is. But Tarkenton was a dedicated football player, and football, and, and now is a great businessman. Uh, Manziel's head is just in another world, and even with skills, um, I I just worry that you know he'll go down the beaten path of some other quarterbacks that we've mentioned in the past, and I I don't think psychologically he's anywhere near ready to play in the NFL.
0: Not to get off on a a tangent here, but uh, you bring up Fran Tarkenton and. and... Interesting. note, Fran Tarkenton was actually drafted by the New England Patriots when they were in the AFL, and uh, he ended up signing with the, uh, of course, getting drafted by the Minnesota Vikings and went there. Talk about the difference of uh, what could have happened to a franchise had Fran Tarkenden been the uh, Patriots quarterback.
1: Well, then you, you're talking about the old AFL, and I was watching again one of the ESPN or it may have been the NFL Network was doing a special and talking about the competition when you know the AFL was first developed in the signing of players and the money that went around and and then you also had uh the scenario with the uh god i'm trying to think of what that other
0: <laughs> usfl
1: there you go the usfl which really signed some huge names i mean they, some of the bigger names were originally with the usfl which survived i think it was one year maybe two at the most uh and then went under but that's what actually created the big bucks in football as yep. as it's grown now. Back then, you know, if you were a quarterback, you made okay money. You didn't make spectacular money. It wasn't up to what some other sports were plant paying. But boy, once once the USFL developed and the AFL, the salaries escalated and now are almost beyond belief.
0: Yeah, the problem with the USFL, it was a. I mean, they have had some great talent. Of course, Steve Young. Uh, was a quarterback for the L.A. Express and and you know you had Jim uh, Kelly Jim Kelly, yeah. You had Bo Jackson playing for the New Jersey Generals. I mean, uh, Reggie White played there. It's just, I mean, it was it was crazy. The problem with the USFL was that they tried to get too big too soon, and you know that in business that if you try to grow too big too soon, you're gonna you're gonna fold. You're gonna it, it does it works more often than not that. You fall out of favor because.
1: If I just, remember right, Herschel Walker was there too. Wasn't he Hershel, yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: I believe he yeah. was as well. Exactly, and I mean, I've, I said that's who I meant. I meant Herschel Walker when I said Bo Jackson. Of course, Bo Jackson came out in '87, so that's what I, that's what I meant. I meant Herschel. I didn't want to correct you <laughs> and
1: say it wasn't him.
0: Yeah, it but. was. It was actually yeah, it was Herschel Walker. But they uh, they had a good thing going. You know, they were they were starting to grow a little bit, and they were playing in the spring, and then they decided that they were gonna. Try to go head to head with the NFL, and, and you know you don't do that.
1: <laughs> that was <laughs> just that was the downfall when they when they, in the second season they decided they were ready to go head to head, and that was a dumb decision. That that really was the killer because there's no way they were going to go head to head at that point.
0: No, nah, I just you know you were going big brother. You know it was it was too big for them. Yeah. It was, uh, but I mean there was some great. Uh, I watched a special on it the other day uh, on the NFL Network uh, for the 1984 draft. And uh, they were talking about the USFL and how certain players, like like a Boomer Asayson, yep. fell to the second round because the Cincinnati Bengals, who ended up drafting him in the second round, had three first round draft picks and passed on him three draft picks in a row. And they finally selected him. Obviously, they thought he was good enough, but they were they were scared that he would bolt for the money in uh, in the USFL. So it, it's, how it's
1: how would you like to have been sitting in his shoes or in these days in the green room? As <laughs> They kept going player by player, and your name isn't called. That's got to be one of the most embarrassing experiences in the world. And nowadays, especially with the draft on TV and everybody looking, and they bring, they zoom the cameras in when they think it's your turn, and you don't get, and you've got to sit there and not look like you're devastated when your name isn't called.
0: Reminds me of Aaron Rodgers. Well, Mm -hmm. we do have our guest on the line, of course. Joining us now is Sean Glennon, author of "Tom Brady Versus the NFL: The Case for the Footballs." greatest quarterback. You can find that anywhere that uh, books are sold. I got my copy on the uh, the iTunes bookstore, so I can read it on my iPad. It's a great book. Uh, of course, you can follow Sean on Twitter, at, at Sean Glenn, and we'll bring Sean in. Sean, how's it going?
2: It's, uh, it's going well. How about with you guys? Well, doing well. We're doing well.
1: We're, we're, do- we're trying to... Yeah. The Boston fat guy there is trying to get over last night, so if he stumbles a little bit with a question, just cover for him because he's, you know, he's having a little trouble getting the words out today. I see. <laughs>
2: yeah, uh, we well, it was to... a good. It was a good day in Boston sports yesterday, right? So, yeah, yeah well, the we'll celebration was in order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. why not? And,
1: and the timing was perfect not to change what we're talking about here, but I had just released a column about the rivalry between the Bruins and the Habs, and and if the Bruins had gone down too straight, I'm certain my readership would have disappeared quickly.
2: Right. Well, uh, I guess things worked out for you all right, then.
1: Sean, tell us a little bit about your book, and what, what triggered you writing the book?
2: Uh, well, this this uh, Tom Brady book, I assume is what you're yep. talking about, yep. and um what triggered, honestly? What triggered me writing that book was that uh, the publisher uh, that I had worked with on a couple of books up until that point, um, you know, we wanted to do another book together, and they said we'd really like you to write a, a book about Tom Brady, um, and and I initially said no. You know, they wanted a biography, and I said no. Um, you know, Charlie Pierce had done that book. There, there was no need, in my mind, for somebody to come in. And you know, I figured Tom's going to write one when his career is over. No need. I, I didn't want to be that guy in the middle, you know, between Charlie Pierce's great book and, and Tom's official book. Uh, so I said no. And, and they just kept wanting to find something. And so we figured out a, a, a project that made sense for me.
1: Now, is it a book? When you wrote it, it was in, in 2012, if I remember right.
2: Since 2000.
1: The... Yeah, go ahead.
2: Um... Yeah, it was published in 2012. You're right. Okay.
1: so now are you going to do updates on the book when Brady finally retires to to make the point even bigger, or is that it and you'll go on to something else?
2: Well, that's sort of going to be up to to Triumph Books. You know, they they have the rights to that book. Um, it'll revert to me at some point um, if they don't do anything with it, and, and then maybe I'll make that decision on my own. If they haven't uh, if they haven't got on board, um, I, I would um, I would certainly want to do a, an update when his career is it is all over. Um, and, uh, so you know we 'll see what kind of agreement we can come to the, the book is sold very very well, so I expect that um, they're going to want to do something maybe uh, you know I, what i 've talked to, to them about in the past is sort of you know a, a deluxe coffee table version when he 's over you know this this book is uh, was published in in paperback. Nobody was really sure that this book could succeed so this book was published originally published in paperback uh, I think the photos are, are mostly black and white um, i i'd like to do a uh, you know a, a big hard cover with with uh, some gorgeous photography
0: in it definitely well we were talking before you joined us sean about the uh the 1983 nfl draft and the quarterbacks that were taken that year of course some hall of fame worthy quarterbacks and john elway and and uh jim kelly and and of course dan marino and and the fact that you know the miami dolphins and the buffalo bills are still trying to find that replacement quarterback what's going to happen with new england now i mean we, Brady can't play forever. He's 37 years old. Is this the year that they finally
2: draft a guy that can be his successor? That's a great question. I, I think this is a year when – clearly this is a year when we can expect to see the Patriots draft a quarterback. Um, you know, it's it's sort of been the, the pattern. You know, Mallett is, is heading into the last year of his contract. He's going to walk in free agency if they don't, you know, deal him before. Um, so they've got to have a quarterback that they bring along this year to be Brady's backup next year, if nothing else. Uh, you know, unless they – they plan to go uh, try to uh, pluck a, a veteran backup next year, uh, but I think you really want someone there who's who's versed in the system. Um, whether that person is his eventual replacement or not, I think has a lot to do with uh, how well the guy they draft can play. I, I think you know Tom said he wants to play a bunch more years. I think we can count on a couple more, maybe three out of them. So they they probably have another chance after this to draft. Uh, brady's replacement if whoever they draft this year doesn't work out but um yeah i do expect to see them bring someone into the fold this year and and see how he looks on the pra- uh, on, running the scout team
1: do you see any way in the world that the patriots brady combination goes the way the montana san francisco ended and and brady leaving the patriots
2: yeah, I mean, I don't want to see that, and, and, uh, you know, I think that, that, that goes for every Patriots fan, and also goes, goes for me. I would like to see this guy finish his career here, but here's a guy who wants to play until he's, you know, he says until he's 40. Every year it seems to, to be that he wants to play, you know, he adds another year or a couple of years to how long he wants to play, and I don't know if that's sincere or that's just, you know, Tom talking, um but, you know, he's a competitor, and I think he's going to want to keep going. And it, it could conceivably reach the point where they go, where, where they have the right guy in place um, as his backup, and um, they see him, you know, his skills diminishing, and they say, you know, Tom, Tom it's time to, to hang it up, and, and he's not ready. Um, in that case, I could certainly see them parting ways.
1: Well, then hopefully the person they have ready
2: is Steve Youngish and and right. <laughs> walk walk from one to the other. I don't
1: see that happening, but it sure would be nice.
2: Right. Well, those don't come around all that often. But you know what? Uh, guys like Tom Brady, these, you know, Uber competitors always, it seems like very few of them do the Elway thing, where they walk away at the peak of their game. They always want to play past the point where they can, where they can really produce. And it might, be the, it might be a situation where the Patriots have a guy who isn't Steve Young um, and who isn't Tom Brady, but who is probably a better bet at that point than, than Tom Brady at that point in his career. And, and you know that Belichick will, will make that move in a heartbeat if he thinks it's, it's the best, in the best interest of his team.
0: You know, I've got a little tidbit that I've been trying to to wrap my head around, and that was last year when the Patriots brought in Tim Tebow. And we saw it in the the preseason where they started to – they were running a little bit of that read option look. Do you think that could have been a precursor to the fact that the NFL is going more to that dual-threat quarterback and and the Patriots, with the draft picks that are coming out this year, the draft-eligible quarterbacks, that maybe they they get one of those dual-threat quarterbacks – and start to evolve the offense a little more.
2: Yeah, I don't know. Maybe if that's if that's really where things are going. I you know, I've seen this sort of th- this Idea that that that's where the NFL was going come up before and and sort of go away. Um, I I have a hard time believing that quarterbacks who play that way can have uh, the kinds of careers that you need a guy who you're given that kind of money to have uh, in terms of longevity, uh, you, you know, uh, sustainable health. Um, so I, you know, I still tend to, and I'm not saying I'm not dismissing it and saying this is a fad, it'll go away. Um, I, I but I, I'm being reserved about it. I, I will believe that that. That kind of offense can work in the NFL in the long term when I see it. Now, that said, it may be that, that the coaching staff and the and the personnel staff of the Patriots have seen enough, and they know it's going there, and, and they're looking for that guy. But, um, I, you know, I can't speak to that. It doesn't, it doesn't seem to me that it's been proven yet.
1: If you're just tuning in, we're talking to Sean Glennon, the author um, of Tom Brady versus the NFL, the case for football's greatest quarterback. I'm certain, and the biggest debate I hear on the Brady greatest ever quarterback is Joe Montana. Uh, in fact, even uh, as you were getting ready to come on the show today, and we were promoting it a little bit, and Steve uh, Ballistera, am I pronouncing his name right, Jeff? Ballisteri. Ballisteri, there we go.
0: And I probably butchered it, too. Sorry, yeah. Steve.
1: <laughs> promoted that, that yeah, he, he promoted your book, he's read your book, he likes it, but he's still Montana. What What made you select Brady, and I know you were writing about Brady, so obviously he had to be the focus, but why do you think he is better than Montana or deserves that accolade?
2: Right, well, and you know what, here's where that that sort of book became that book, because originally what I was writing was a book called... Uh, 25 reasons Tom Brady is better than Peyton Manning which was just sort of a fun book <laughs> I that, I gonna, that, <laughs> that I was going to that I was going to throw together because Triumph really wanted a book about Tom Brady and I said, you know, well here's one that I can do and this this will be a a breeze because I had believed that that argument had been settled for for many years before I started writing that book. Um and uh that as I was writing that book was the season when, when, that Manning lost, uh, you know, missed, uh, with his injury and there was some concern at the publisher that he wasn't going to come back and, and that I was writing a book about a rivalry that was, was going to be in the rear view. Um, and, uh, at, at the same time I had been researching because, just because of the way I work, I'd been looking at, at Brady and, and Manning not just next to each other, but, but next to the other greats and had come to the conclusion, particularly after looking at Brady in Montana, that it didn't matter that Tom Brady was better than Peyton Manning because the reality was that Tom Brady was better than everyone. So, that having come to that conclusion that Brady was better than Montana, who I had believed up until that point was the greatest and was likely to stay the greatest, uh, you know, until I, you know, I was long, long since in the dirt. Um, it was coming to that conclusion that made me realize that, that this is the book that I should write, the Tom Brady's the, the Greatest Ever. I don't think it's by a wide margin. I, You know, and Steve and I have gone back and forth on this. Uh, I have the greatest respect for him. Uh, he and I uh, are, uh, you know, I don't know if we know each other well enough to be friends, but we're certainly friendly acquaintances and, and have a great online relationship and have, have uh, had many good conversations in person. Um, I, I he we just we just happen to disagree on that point and and i think that there's a lot of people out there who continue to disagree with me on that point and probably always will and and it's and it's really hard for i can't fault any of them cuz montana was amazing um it, it certainly it, you know i i don't think that to, that it is to go too far even for me to say it's you know it's a one a one b type of situation in my mind Tom Brady comes out just a little bit ahead when you look at you know all of the everything put together that when you don't just look at the Super Bowl performances but look at the games that got you into the Super Bowl when you look at the the uh, the, the sort of um, breadth of the career and and what has happened in the regular season for for Tom Brady I think he's just he's accomplished a few things that uh, put him just at, you know. Just a, a, an inch or two above Montana. If he wins another Super Bowl, then then I think that um, uh, Steve's tweet today, notwithstanding, uh, I think the <laughs> argument is settled at that point.
0: Well, I guess you that. saw his response.
2: Uh... <laughs> I did. Yeah, and and you know what? There are are some people, and Steve it isn't one of these. Steve will could articulate his argument very well for why even one more Super Bowl won't tip the uh, won't tip the balance in, in Brady's favor. But there are a lot of people out there who. Um, Have just bought, have just decided Montana's the greatest ever and they're not, and they're never going to accept anybody else. And you know what? I even respect them. Um, never mind someone like Steve who, who can tell you. You know his reasons for it, and uh, you know there are look there are people out there who uh, still hang on to the idea that Bart Starr was the greatest, and there were a lot of people who were very reluctant to accept Montana as the greatest ever because clearly it was Bart Starr and it was always going to be Bart Starr, or maybe for some people Johnny Unitas, um, although I think those people were always mistaken. Um, It's just it, it's it's there's no there's no. You know, cut and dry answer to this, uh, to this question. I don't know. You know, maybe Tom Rutt wins two more Super Bowls, and there is a cut and dry answer to the question, but you'd have to ask Steve about that.
0: Well, that's the one thing that you want to sit there because you can, you can look at, at Joe Montana and, and say, okay, he was 4 and 0 in Super Bowls. You know, he had four Super Bowl rings and never threw an interception in the Super Bowl. He's the greatest ever. But then you can look at Tom Brady and everything he's accomplished, and he's doing it in the salary cap era, which, of course, the San Francisco 49ers didn't have to deal with. And we saw what they had to deal with when, when they got into the uh, salary cap era. They got through salary cap hell. So, but that is a, definitely a conversation uh, for a later date. I've talked to you earlier, Sean, about getting together a, a panel about the uh, the greatest quarterbacks of all time. And, and you, of course, will be part of it. And Steve has also uh, gone to join us. So we're going to be putting that together for a future Patriots beat.
2: I'm excited about that, and yeah, and you're right about the salary cap, and and the, you know the Niners ultimately cheated the salary cap. That has nothing to do with Montana. That's you know you can apply that to Young if you want to. Uh, it's that's a complicated conversation to get into. Maybe we'll save it for that panel. Um, but yeah, it's it's an excellent point. Um, Montana's played on teams that were stacked, and he played in an era in which teams tended to be uh, you know. The great teams tended to stay great, and the lousy teams tended to stay lousy. There was none of this sort of uh, attempt at, at creating parity. That, that has a lot to do with his success.
0: Well, let's move forward, and let's get on to the NFL draft here a little bit. Of course, we all know how great Tom Brady is, and yes, I believe he's the greatest quarterback of all time, and I believed that before I read your book. But what do you see, Sean, to be the biggest needs for the New England Patriots uh, in this year's draft?
2: Man, you know, I, I go I go back and forth, and um, I, I, I think the great news is that I, I don't think that there's any need or pick that's going to make or break the team. You know, what I keep not seeing, and it's strange to me, and maybe I'm just looking in the wrong places, or maybe I'm just wrong. Um, I have believed uh, that the piece that the Patriots need for, uh, for this rebuilding of the secondary that they've been involved in in free agency is a is – a, um, Is a free safety who can lay the lumber. I don't see that guy on the team. I would, uh, you know, and I'm not saying that that's where they need to go in the first round. But man, I'll be shocked if they don't come out of this draft uh, with with a big, hard hitting free safety on the uh, among the rookie class.
0: Not excited about Patrick uh, made a glass chunk.
2: (laughs) You know, (laughs) no, I guess not. I mean, I I always like the guy. I think he can he can play a role, but he's not the guy I'm looking for.
1: One of the things I, I'm getting a kick out of, and Twitter is a fun place to just watch how people feel. It's, it's reactionary, it's instant. But I, One of the things I'm constantly seeing Patriots fans tweet is how they're expecting to get four or five solid players out of this year's draft. Players that will turn the team into a long-term champion. I, that's an unrealistic expectation, isn't it? I, I mean, uh, am I crazy here to think that the fourth round draft choice, probably from the fourth round up, is high risk? And you know, you know, they may get one impact player. Or do you guys think that all these tweets I'm seeing are right? in the Pats could come out of this draft with four, five, six, and one. One of my followers said seven starters.
2: Oh, I think that's wholly realistic. I think it's every bit as realistic as as all the tweets I'm seeing about the Patriots uh having an undefeated season, you know? It's 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 nonsense. It's fan talk and 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 it's you know, I think in a way it's it's sort of it's sort of great that that fans feel that way. Um I think you you know you should look at the schedule and think that your team can and will win all of those those games at, at a certain level, and I think you you should look at the draft and go we're going to have the you know the greatest draft ever. I think there's probably fans of 32 teams in the NFL right now who think that their team is going to pick up, except for the Colts because they only have five picks, who think their team is going to pick up seven starters in this draft. Are they? No, they're going to pick up two, th- maybe three. Um, and teams like the Patriots, it's it's uh You know it's a longer shot still because it's harder to make the team as a as a draft pick um it's it's it, the the only danger of it with both the sixteen and o stuff or the nineteen and o whatever we want to talk about and the and the you know all of our draft picks are going to be great is that i think that's how you get into a mindset as a fan that oh uh, oh boy, these guys really blew it you know they they uh you know the four of our draft picks have it's the it's the final cuts and four of our draft picks haven't made the team well yeah that's 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 the way the draft works.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, if, I don't think there's anyone out there who has ever had a draft that, you know, all seven picks or all 12 picks or however many it was all end up contributing to being great for years upon years. I mean, if you hit on 30 to 40 percent of your draft picks, you're doing pretty well.
2: Right. Yeah. And if you draft seven guys and they all make the team, it's a pretty, it's a pretty good sign that you had an awful team going in. <laughs> that's,
1: yeah, that's where I was going. It's like you must have been pretty bad. I was shocked last year. When, what was it, they had 15 new players on the roster at the beginning of the year, and I'm thinking, my God, how did that happen? Because, just as you said, the year before, they were good. I mean, and and a lot of those were free agents.
2: Right, that's crazy. And, and when you look at a team that has that many new players, that's a team that's rebuilding. And that's the thing that, that people don't really appreciate, I think, or at least fans in New England don't really appreciate, is that we have seen this team rebuild a couple of times in the Brady era. It's just that it doesn't show on the scoreboard, doesn't show in the in, in the final standings. And that's a that's an amazing and rare thing. We should uh, you know we should really take a step back and appreciate that.
0: Well you mentioned that uh, you know, you didn't think that they really needed anything in this in this draft and they could take the field tomorrow and, and I think they could win twelve to thirteen games because of the coach and the quarterback and, and then what they've done on the defensive side of the ball and, and the players that are coming back. But there's been a lot of people that sit there and say that they got Rashid Hagman coming in at number twenty nine, uh a defensive tackle, defensive lineman. I'm not I'm not thrilled with him. I'd like a defensive tackle or a defensive end, but I don't think Hegman's the man. Do you, is there anyone out there that you look at, like for me, it's, uh, it's, it's Nixon for, for Bob, it's uh, to it. Bob, is that who it is? Yeah. Yeah. Do you have anyone out there that you'd like to see the Patriots bring in to kind of help sure up the middle of that line or rush off the edge?
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I like to it as well. Um, I, I, I'm not saying that. So get, don't get me wrong. When I say I, I don't think that they have, have needs, they, you know, they, they've got needs. I just don't think that they have a situation in the draft where they that it's going to a good or bad draft is going to make or break the team. I agree with you. I think they could go out now. I do think that they could improve. I think that they could improve in the interior, of the offensive line, frankly, um, and, and that's something that I would like to see. I don't think that happens in the first round. That might happen in in round three or four. Um, But, yeah, you know, I think that this is a team that hasn't really had, you know, a real – Amazing five techniques since the Seymour trade um, there's a team that, that um, you know i 'm glad that Vince is back on board and and I think that he can contribute. I know that uh, rebuilt Achilles tend to be stronger than than uh, the natural Achilles, so i 'm not worried about that i 'm more worried about his conditioning and his age and that point I think so I think they need to, to find someone who can uh, come in and and maybe spell him and be the person who eventually takes over that role. Um, and, uh, and 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 it certainly is a guy who has some versatility on the on the defensive front.
1: Yeah, and I'm I'm like the only one I've seen hyping him a little bit, not to take glory if he ends up being drafted first, but I will. But today, finally, Mike Reese in his column said, "Keep your eye on him. He's he's he could very well be that lineman with the greatest value when the Pats get ready to draft." So I I just have liked him from the beginning. I know he's been inconsistent in college. But he's got a lot of pluses uh, to go with a few minuses. He's got to get his motor running consistently and things like that. One of one of the other players or the other positions that a lot of people and earlier I was on this bandwagon are keying as the critical position is is tight end, uh, especially with the questions whether Gronk can come back or not. Um, do you see them drafting a tight end early?
2: Er, I don't know about early. I, I just don't know if that kind of talent exists. Uh, in this draft, I know there are a couple of guys who people think are um, are, are good values at the end of the the first round, the tight end, to marrow, and. Um like it on the other name, but uh, you know when I, when I look closely at those guys, and look, I'm not going to tell you, tell you that I'm a draft expert. There's certainly a lot of people out there who are spending a lot more time looking at these guys uh, than, than I do, but when I look at those guys, I think, I, I don't know if they're the kinds of players who the Patriots are going to see as, as having first-round value. Um, they, I do think that they'll pick up a, a pass-catching tight end at, at some point in this draft, but I, I think it might be in later rounds. The other thing that I, I think is a distinct possibility is that they may pick up one of those the you know those guys who people are looking at as, as a first round talent, and they might pick him up in the in the second round because I I really think there's a very strong possibility that the Patriots trade out of the first round. Yeah, we were. I think we all agreed on that. We did a a pre-draft
1: show. What was it two weeks ago, Jeff? Three, uh, three yeah, weeks two ago, weeks ago with Bobby, and and we all agreed that we thought the Pats would trade out of the first round. And there's so much talent that the draft will shift people up based on what happens at the beginning of the draft i mean that's going to key who's there who isn't there and what players still need or what teams still need when the patch turn comes around uh but i very clearly uh, agree with you that uh, that i think they could draft out and when we're talking about tight end dustin keller did come in for a visit if he is anywhere near healthy i really liked him as a tight end uh, however, you've got you know torn ACL, MCL, PCL, dislocated kneecap. I mean, that's a lot to overcome. But uh, but if Keller is halfway healthy, I really like him.
2: Yeah, well, and I think he's a guy who's a low risk to have in camp, and and if he if it turns out he can contribute, you're psyched, and if he it turns out he can't, um, you, you let him go. But the the way that you uh, are are in a position to let him go is is that you have another guy uh, ready to take that position. I think that the you know getting back back to being able to do some two tight end sets is, is important, and uh, right now you've got a couple of pass catching tight ends who aren't healthy, um, or you know one of whom isn't healthy, one of whom hasn't been. Um, and and so, I you know, I, I really would be surprised if they got out of this draft without adding some talent uh, at that position.
0: We've seen uh, across Twitter and Facebook and all sorts of social media,
2: Patriots fans going out there thinking
0: that they would draft a wide receiver in the first round and, and that they needed that deep threat. And Bill Belichick has never drafted a wide receiver in the first round, nor do I think he has to. But how do you feel right now about the Patriots and their wide receivers? <laughs>
2: Uh, you know, I think that uh, I'm not as concerned about the wide receiver position as a lot of people. Which is to say, I'm, I'm really not concerned about it at all. Um, I think that they have some some talent at that position. I think that uh, I think that they had rookies who were who were really good last year, and people just don't appreciate what those guys brought to the table. You know, there were some injury issues, but um, but they you know sort of they both of uh, both the rookies who spent time at that position and, and I'll you know sort of set Boyce aside um, produced when they had the opportunity to produce I, I don't know, I, I think there's a, there's a ton of, of uh, talent on that posi- at, at that position. Would I be surprised in the later rounds to see the Patriots pick somebody up? No but I, I, do, I don't think it's a necessity and I certainly don't think that there's any chance that they're going to draft any, any wide receiver in the first round
1: well, and the, the expectations, we're back to that expectations of the fans, of any rookie stepping in and doing any more than Dobson did or Tompkins as an undrafted free agent is kind of ridiculous. So if they draft another one this year, they're going to go through the same thing. Brady's got to adjust to them. They've got to adjust to Brady. So, you know, I, I say these guys are really young and showed, just as you mentioned, Sean, showed the ability to do a lot of good things. They've signed you know a, a third uh, wide receiver to to kind of give him some experience out there but overall I'm like you I think that the the talent is there and I think Boyce is going to be better than people expected he never really got a chance last year
2: right well and you know if Boyce can can be the return man that you expect him to be um and can step in in you know, in certain situations at wide receiver, um, you're already getting value out of him. But yeah, I think he's he's probably someone who can uh, who can add a nice dimension to the offense. You know, in in, in certain situations. But you know, I don't know. I I, I think um, I, I think those guys were so were far more productive last year than fans give them credit for being. And I, I don't really get what happened there.
0: Well, I think fans really expected you know. They, they expect that deep threat. That, I mean, that's the big thing. Oh, we need a deep threat. We need Randy Moss. And, and you know, for them to come in and uh, I think Aaron Dobson had 38 or 39 catches for 500-something yards, and, and Campbell Tompkins did roughly around the same. I mean, that, that's great. I, I don't understand the the look at this saying, oh, we need to take the cover off the ball.
2: Right. I, well, I certainly get that, that, you know, that perspective. I don't necessarily share it i understand you know i think the fans get it from watching tv and listen to the radio and 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 thinking that that that's a necessity and i think when you've seen randy moss do it you think well look what this offense can do with with, with a guy like randy moss well it, you know name for me the other randy mosses who are available um because yeah if you can bring randy Mo- put randy moss on your offense absolutely you know if that guy exists in the draft and and the patriots know it by all means, draft him. Get him out there, and 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 I'll be talking Super Bowl too. But I, I don't, I, you know, as deep as as this draft is at wide receiver talent, I you know, Randy Moss has come along what once every ten years.
0: Yeah, exactly. The final question for me, Sean, because I consider you the uh, the quarterback guru. Um, your thoughts on Johnny Manziel?
2: Uh, I think Johnny Manziel is. Um, is uh, headed for being one of the bigger quarterback busts that we've seen. I share. Your I'm not opinion. sure how much more I have to say about him. <laughs>
0: I share. I share your opinion.
1: If you listened at the very beginning of the show, we talked about him a little bit, and that's exactly what Jeff was saying. Is he felt the same way, and I agree. I think
0: psychologically.
1: Yeah, and I'm not going to go over all the points we made earlier, but I think he's a head case waiting to explode.
2: Yeah, and I, I and I don't think he's he's. All that talented as an NFL, I think he's a great qual- college quarterback. He's one of those guys who's great, you know, been a great college quarterback, and and uh, I'm not sure that the talent translates to the NFL. And, and I certainly don't think that the talent translates to the NFL when you have uh, when you have his attitude. I think the only thing that will temper the uh, the, the degree of bust that we see Johnny Manziel as is, is where he falls. You know, if he falls into the beginning of the second round, then, then we'll look back in a few years and go, oh, well, now we know why he fell, back. It fell into the beginning of the second round. And we won't say, you know, greatest bust of all time. But if the Texans take him, uh, and I don't think that they will, um, at number one, it's, uh, it, it, it's going to be ugly.
1: Well, my final point is, great book. Are you going to write any more? Are you still writing, planning on writing any more football books?
2: Absolutely, planning on writing some more football books. I, I don't have anything that I can tell you about right now. I, I have a sort of a rule of not talking about something until it's uh, it's moving toward publication. But uh, I think you can expect to see more football books from me in the future.
0: Excellent. We can't wait to read them, Sean. Thank you very much for joining Patriots Beat.
2: Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Sean.
0: And of course, was our good friend Sean Glennon, author of Tom Brady versus the NFL: The Case for Football's Greatest Quarterback. And you can find that book anywhere that you like to buy your books. As I said, I bought it on the iTunes bookstore. Sean, I,
1: it's also available on Amazon, I'll mention. Cut in on you for just a second.
0: So. You, you can cut in on me. I'll, I'm all right with that. <laughs> Sean, of course, was brought to you by the uh, the CLS Radio iTunes feed, www.itunes.com. Please download it. Please listen to our other great podcasts, including, as I said earlier, Celtics Beat, and uh, the Boston Sports Connection, of course, our post-game shows. We do the uh, the Patriots post-game show and the Boston Bruins post-game show during the playoffs, and then of course our award-winning Celtics post-game show, which they do such a great job with over there. Uh, subscribe, give us a like. It's the uh, it's the way that we grow. and We appreciate that. Uh, so great guest there, our, our good old friend uh, Sean Glenn, and he's uh, he wrote a great book, and uh, it, it's good to go from there. So let's let's move on a little bit because the uh, the NFL draft is uh, is you know a mere Five days away starts Thursday night, and uh, we've been we've been talking a little bit about it over the last few weeks with, of course, guests like Daniel Jeremiah and Mike Loico from AntipatriotsDraft dot com. We're starting to get the sense, and I it today that the uh, Houston Texans are ready to trade out of that number one pick. What are your thoughts on that, Bob?
1: Well, mm, I, I to me, they'd be crazy. I don't know what they will get that. Triggers obviously if they get a a high first round and they're just moving up a space or two and get another good pick out of it maybe but you know I I just to me the player that's out there uh, Clowney is a once in a lifetime type player and there may be a few questions on him but we we've, we've talked before about the combination of what a pass rush that team would have with Clowney in there so I you know could happen. Um who are they I haven't seen those so what teams are they supposedly talking to Jeff
0: I've seen uh that the Buffalo Bills have, have thought talked about it that the Atlanta Falcons have talked about moving up so it it'll be interesting to see what happens um and and of course we saw this a couple of years ago when the uh, the Rams had the second pick in the draft and uh the Washington Redskins paid a boatload to go up and get RG three in the uh, with the second overall pick and and now because of that trade the Rams have the second overall pick they have that pick that came back from Washington one year after making the the playoffs at ten and six now the, they they fall to two and fourteen and now the Rams have that pick so I I wonder you know does does one man make it that much of a difference that we know what the the uh, Houston Texans would be like with Jadavian Clowney but in the long term building of a team is it better to to trade down and stack your assets or take that shot that's the question
1: and, and the question is who do you stack your assets with and that you know nobody knows until the draft is over there are only so many players in the draft that are considered can't miss prospects and You know, Houston is not as bad as their record was last year. I I know people are going to go, my God, they were terrible. They couldn't beat anyone. There were some reasons behind that, Um, one being their quarterback was horrendous, but, but there were some other reasons involved in that. But if you look at skilled players on Houston, they're not as bad as their record indicates, I don't think. Do you?
0: It all depends on the health of Arian Foster. If Arian yeah. Foster comes yeah. back healthy because they no longer have. Hell yeah, he's back. a running back. What would you expect? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, yeah, I just. I can't, I can't even talk about the real reason why they <laughs> fell apart last year because of the fact that their running back, who's extremely important in the NFL, still to this day, a running game is very important in the NFL. Look how horrible Matt Schaub was and. and TJ Yates, and I can't remember the other guy they were starting last year, how bad these quarterbacks were when there was no one who could run the ball for them.
1: But, I mean, they had one of the best wide – people of Patriots land, listening in, they have one of the best wide receivers in football in in Houston. And, you know, that didn't help them much last year, just what you're saying. So in this instance, I agree with you. I mean, I I think Rodgers is – plus I thought the team quit. Oh, yes. I, that they, team just gave up halfway through the year. They
0: gave up on Gary Kubiak. They were just—they were done. They yep. were absolutely done. I mean, they, I, it was amazing that they hung as tough as they did against the uh, Patriots. Of course, the, the Patriots were all beat up too. So I mean, uh, but they got a great listen. I'm going to tell you right now, I have a ton of respect for Billy O'Brien. Uh, I thought he was a phenomenal offensive coordinator for the Patriots. I love the way that he. It wasn't a yes man to to Bill Belichick. It wasn't a yes man to to Tom Brady. He, you know, he got into Tom Brady's face, and who can forget? I believe it was against the Washington Redskins um, a few years back, where Brady threw an interception in uh, in the end zone when he was trying to hit uh, Underwood, and uh, he's yelling there. He was effing open, and and you see Bill O'Brien screaming right back at him. I think Bill O'Brien is going to be a phenomenal head coach in the NFL. He did a very nice job at Penn State, if there's one thing that I kind of fault him for is that he didn't see it through at Penn State. But, you know, and if someone's offering me money to go coach in the NFL, I think I'm going as well. But he goes into those those kids, you know, that, that are committed to going to Penn State for Billy O'Brien. And then two years into it, he he leaves, you know. And, and now with the way that the college football rules are set up, These kids can't transfer. If they transfer, they have to sit out a year. I think that's got to change. And I agree. I think everybody feels that way except the coaches.
1: And the coaches, that that has become so commonplace that that no coach that is a good coach and recruited fills out their contract. I mean, it it just doesn't happen, even at the major colleges. Hey, let's change subjects for a minute because we're running short on time. I know you wanted to talk about this one, and I agree. You and I had mentioned it before. The fans in the stands does the nfl care about the the average football fan who the lunch bucket gang that saves every penny they've got so they can go see a game live uh relies on it being played at the time the team has it scheduled uh, he, he pays for their seats and has them from year to year what do you th- do you think the nfl really cares about the true fans
0: the only thing the NFL cares about is money, and where they get that money is from corporate sponsors and from the television networks. It's exactly why the NFL is going out there and, and you know, talking about expanding the, expanding the playoffs because that's millions of more dollars into their pocket. They don't give a damn if, if the product on the field suffers because dum-dums like you and I are still going to watch. That's the problem, right there. Is is the NFL is now run by a lawyer who an economics major who freaking just wants to make money. Roger Goodell made forty four million dollars last year. That guy has no clue what it's like to be a, a typical NFL fan who wants the best product on the field. And I have a feeling that it's going to suffer if they add, you know, more corporate box seats. If they if they add another playoff. You know, it's ridiculous, and the fact that you know the Patriots are what are they doing? Some kind of luxury thing down in the end zone? In the end zone?
1: Up to one of those fan lounges?
0: Is in the end zone? What I understand? Yeah. I mean, in the end zone. The end zone is like where the best football fans sit. You know, those are those are the guys. You're right. Those are the lunch pail carrying guys who are go freaking crazy. Look look at Oakland with their guys dressed up like crazy. Where are they? They're in the end zone. Look at Cleveland. Their team is horrible, yet they have this unbelievable fan base, and they have the dog pound. Where's the dog pound? It's in the end zone. Why are you taking away one of the greatest sections, which is the end zone? These are the guys that can't afford the 50-yard line seats. You know, it's just going to make that Gillette Stadium less loud than it already is. It's one of the quietest stadiums in the world because people go there and sit on their hands and they eat their freaking cheese and wine. It's
1: Well, and yeah. if you look, the other thing when you go to a game at Gillette Stadium, look up at that hangover section that is the the elite seats. And they're always half empty. Everybody's back in. And if you've ever sat there, if you haven't, you won't know what I'm talking about. But when you when you have those seats, and I happen to have them because of corporate sponsors, a couple of games, you go back and they're watching the games on the TV in this lounge that's behind there where you can drink your beer and sit comfortably, and if the weather's bad, you don't have to sit outside in the cold and watch the game on TV. You watch even the biggest games. Those seats look like they're only about half full, even though those people are there at the game.
0: I mean, what a waste. It's ridiculous. And you know what? I just it drives me up the wall. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. I love the fact that we have Gillette Stadium. It's it's so much better than than, you know, the old Foxborough Stadium. Foxborough Stadium was was a hole. You know, it was just terrible. But the one thing about Foxborough Stadium, it was loud. It wasn't goody two shoes sitting out there. I mean, I went to a game a couple of years ago at at Gillette Stadium and it was third down and I was standing up screaming my head off, you know, we were on defense. And the next thing I know, this guy in a yellow jacket is, is grabbing me and saying, I'm like, yeah, he goes, uh, sir, could you sit down, please? I'm like, what? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Well, yeah, the people behind you really can't see. Now, I had great seats for that, t- that game. I was, I was in the lower bowl at about the 45-yard line. And there's these stuffy people behind me who, who don't know when to sit, when to cheer, anything like that. Go to Kansas City and look at those guys cheer. Go to Buffalo. That team has been horrible for years. They got a shithole stadium but they're screaming loud. We need to bring get back our football. Take it away from corporate America and money. Get back our football.
1: End of speech. And <laughs> and to me I know you think the worst decision is expanding the playoffs and I understand I I couldn't strongly disagree with you but to me the dumbest not from a business standpoint the, the biggest slap to fans was when they started playing games overseas and it's like wait a minute this is my home team i can't even go to the game they lose a home game to go play in europe who could care less about the nfl yeah they fill a stadium but come on those people over there don't are into the nfl at the same level the hometown fans are so if you're going to do that send you know two teams that are so bad that they can't fill their own stadium But that's not what happens every year. So, anyway, end of of comment there. We're almost out of time. One more thing I wanted to mention I noticed this morning uh, and didn't realize this on a roster note. uh, And maybe you knew, Jeff. I didn't. But Brandon Browner, um, who's suspended for those first four games, he doesn't count against the initial roster limit during that time. So the Pats will have an opportunity to keep uh, 54 players at the beginning of, of the year, which is, you know, gives a young player or a veteran who's trying to prove he still has it a chance to make the roster. So I didn't realize that. Maybe you did.
0: You know, I actually did only because of the fact that uh, Rodney Harrison a couple of years ago when he was suspended for the first four games of, I believe it was the 2007 season, they were able to bring in uh, another guy. But, I mean, technically it really isn't another guy because when Browner comes back, they got to make a decision of who they cut. Now, do they bring in another cornerback? My guess is probably not because I think they can get by with, you know, Alfonso Dennard and and Kyle Arrington and, and of course, um, uh, Logan Ryan uh, as as your top four with uh, Darrell Rivas. Well, I don't think it's that, but maybe you see, you know, an, an extra offensive lineman kept. Or maybe you see, you know, an, an extra wide receiver as they're trying to to filter through this group that includes Edelman and Amendola and the new Gladio Fell and the second year players and Boyce Tompkins and and uh, uh, of course um, Dobson uh, and of course Matthew Slater. It's technically a wide receiver. So yeah, it's. I mean, I, I guess it, it could be good because it could help the Patriots develop what they're going to go with, but we'll see. Because I, I really don't see it to be a huge advantage.
1: You know, Mike Rees in his quick hits and thoughts column this morning also brought up the contract extension to uh, the all-pro Seahawks safety uh, Earl Thomas and the impact that could have on the Patriots and what they end up having to pay if they want to keep Devin McCourty.
0: Yeah, they'll have to definitely look into that because uh, Den McCordy's a big-time uh, need to resign. sign But uh, that's the end of Patriots Beat for this week. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, we shall return next Sunday at 1, as we always do. Of course, follow uh, CNS Radio at CLNS Radio. Follow myself at Boston Fat Guy, and follow Bob at Bob. And, of course, follow the Patriots Beat podcast at, at Patriots Beat. We'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you very much.
1: Go take a nap, Jeff. See you later, everybody. Have a great week.
2: at Sports Talk Radio, DLNS Radio.